Tonight's lesson is one that has been requested by two or three different folks. On a normal week, sometime during the week, I generally will get a call from some of the brethren, maybe from even others outside of this congregation, and they'll be involved in a Bible study with some of their friends or some of their family. And during that period of time, the subject will come up about water baptism and about salvation. And the truth is, many religious groups reject the idea that baptism is essential to salvation. And you can talk with people as you go through the discussion, and you can say, what about, for instance, this passage or that passage? And they will discuss faith with you. They'll discuss repentance. They'll even discuss the idea of confession. But when you get to the topic of baptism, it seems as if there is some sort of a a stone wall there that prevents people from wanting to accept what the Bible teaches on that. They criticize those of us in the church, and sometimes quite publicly in doing so, they say that we're teaching a works-based salvation. And they believe that when we teach the Bible says you must be baptized, that we're teaching that you have to do a work that somehow merits your salvation. They say we believe that the water saves us and not Jesus and not his blood. And then many of these people will say, if I am baptized, if I am to, salvation is in the baptistry, then drown me while I'm being baptized. And that is a direct quote. And so if people have this kind of idea, we have to realize that You say, that's not what we believe. That's not necessarily what we teach. They don't understand what we're trying to say. Let me point out to you that John 15, verse 20, Jesus said, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep your word also. We have to remember that our Lord, his teaching was twisted, it was misapplied, it was misunderstood, and as you and I try to present what the Bible teaches, we also will sometimes be misunderstood, our words will be twisted, and it's important that we realize that what matters is not what someone says about us, what matters not is even what I might believe or you might believe. What matters is, what does the scripture say? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, Peter says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. We need to be the kind of people that say, let's go to the book, let's go to the chapter, and let's go to the verse that addresses this topic. Let's make sure we understand it carefully and properly. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20, he says, To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. We need to remind people as we try to discuss with them, it does not matter what your feelings or your opinion is on any topic. What matters is, what does the book say? To the law and to the testimony. Now, we have to be committed to seeing the truth and rejecting the doctrines of men. 
There were many people who had their own ideas and own doctrines in the first century about the role of Jesus and about who he would be as the Messiah. And the Lord's teaching was different. In fact, if you just want to appreciate the Lord's contrast, study the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-7. through You have heard it said, but I say unto you, and you'll see a strong contrast between the two. So what does the evidence reveal? Well, so in preparing this lesson, I tried to use some material that I prepared in the past. There are several different ways to approach a subject. But what I wanted to do was talk about water and how God has used it as a line of demarcation. As, if you will, a line in the sand to say what's on this side, what's on that side. And so what we will study is Noah and the flood. And Brother Justin just read to us from 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll see it in its context. We'll look at Moses and the children of Israel as they pass through the Red Sea. We will look at Naaman and his washing in the river Jordan. And then finally we'll take all that to the New Testament and we'll look at baptism. If you want to open your Bibles, you can go to Genesis chapter 6. And when you get to chapter five or chapter six, verse five, you will find that God is giving a picture of how the people had degenerated since the creation. After the fall of man and then the sin of Cain and how men began to just go away from the Lord, the description is the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I have made them. And you come down to verse 13, and you see that God's plan for destroying the world was to bring a flood on it. He says, the end of all flesh has come up before me. The earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy the, them with the earth. And so as you and I start looking at this destruction, we can find several passages that discuss it. Jesus in Luke 17 says, They ate and drank, were married and given in uh, marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. It was a, a worldwide flood. Don't let the History Channel and some of these others deceive you into thinking, oh, it was just a localized flood. No, it was a worldwide flood. In 2 Peter 2, verse 5, he says, He did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. You've got to see that what the flood was intended to do. The flood was intended to destroy the wickedness that was in this world. And thus the righteous were saved from the unrighteous by means of the flood. When we often talk about the flood, we often talk about the ark. The ark was to protect Noah, his family, and the animals from the flood. But the flood itself was 
to save the world from sinful man. I want to go back to 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. He said, Who were formerly disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. On the other side, you had the old world with all the ungodliness and all the sinfulness that God wanted to get rid of. He brought the flood, and on the other side, you bring out a fresh, renewed earth, then with righteous people on it, those who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so God saved Noah and his family and preserved the animals by means of that. Now for just a moment or two, let's talk about Moses and the Red Sea. You remember that the children of Israel had gone down to Egypt and they had settled there. And there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph and he began to put the children of Israel into bondage, into slavery. He used their services to build all the great projects that the Egyptians wanted built. And so because of that, God provided a means for them to leave. It's called the Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, chapter 14, verse 13, we read, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the, notice his word he chooses, the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see no more forever. Drop down to verse 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. You know what happened. The children of Israel walked through on dry land. But if you continue on to Hebrews 11 and verse 29, the writer says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. You see, on one side you had the Egyptians. On the other side you had freedom. When I come to the New Testament... Paul makes reference to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, what you see is there was a baptism. That's his words. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You see, there was an immersion that on one side, what did it have? It had bondage and it had the wicked Egyptians. On the other side, you had freedom and moving toward the promised land. The sea separated bondage from freedom. It was the means through which they were saved. That's the way God chose to do it. He let water be the line of demarcation. Just like with the flood, he let the waters of the Red Sea to be the the mark between the two. Now let's for a moment or two talk about Naaman. When you come to 2 Kings chapter 5, you're during the period of time when Syria was the dominant nation. And the king of Syria had an important commander to him by the the name of Naaman. 
In 2 Kings 5, verse 1, Now Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria, he was also a mighty man of valor. But he was a leper. You know, last Sunday evening we talked about the lepers. And we talked about those who were cleansed. And you can imagine, here's a man that's so valuable to you, but... He's got a disease and he can't be able to do what you need him to do. Let's go a little bit further to verse 3. There was a young damsel there serving in the court. And here's what she said. If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. There's someone who can take care of him. And so the king prepares, sends Naaman to Samaria. In fact, to the king of Samaria. When he arrives, he says, I can't do anything. And so he finally is sent to the prophet. And when I get to chapter 5, verse 10, the instructions given to Naaman were pretty direct, really clear. Elisha sent his messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. You think about that for just a moment. Here is this mighty, impressive commander of the Syrian army and he comes and Elisha the prophet says, go dip seven times. Go be immersed seven times in the Jordan River. His response was, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. In fact, I see a lot of parallel between what Naaman was told to do and what People today, how they react. They've got so many excuses, so many different ideas. Look at what he says in verses 11 through 13. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Now, think a moment. He's got his own ideas, his own opinions about how this ought to be done. So many people today have their own ideas about how salvation ought to work and how we ought to come out on the other side. And verse 12, Are not the Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in rage. Well, I think about people... I've had people really become angry. People who would be just all friendly and everything. And then when you say, but you know, the Bible does teach you have to be baptized. And they become angry just like Naaman did. Verse 13. And his servants came near and spoke to him, saying, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? What is he asking you to do that's so bad? All he's asking you to do is to dip in the Jordan River. And then he complies. Verse 14. We read the text. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Oh, if you just do what God says to do through his message, through the prophets, you'll get what he said you would get. Does anyone think 
that because Naaman went down into that water, because he did what the prophet told him to do, that he somehow cured himself? No. Was there something different about the waters of Jordan than the waters of Abana and Farpar? No, there's, it's still water. Probably the Abana and the Farpar were cleaner than the Jordan River, but it's still the case that it was what he was told to do. And once he complied, look what he received. Water again was the agent or the means of his salvation. On this side he was diseased, he was leprous. But that seventh time that he come up out of the water in the Jordan River, his flesh was like the flesh of a child. He was new, he was clean, he was no longer a leper. Now if I can see that in the flood... And I can see that in the crossing of the Red Sea. And I can see that in the example of Naaman. What about New Testament baptism? You know, somebody might have the idea that when you go through the New Testament that everybody who was told to be baptized did. No, they didn't. In fact, when you go to Luke chapter 7, verses 29 and 30, you find that John had come preaching baptism... And many of the people were coming to him, the, particularly the tax collectors, the harlots, the people who understood their need and appreciated it. But verse 30 says, But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Oh, you mean there were people in the first century with whom that John the Baptist would go and say, you must be baptized. And they'd say, well, I don't think I need to. I don't think I ought to. In fact, I reject that. Yeah, there were. So we shouldn't be surprised that there would be people who reject it today. But yet, when I go and I look at what Jesus himself taught, the Son of God about what a person must do in order to be saved, in Matthew 16, verses 19, or Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You mean the Lord said when you go out and you make disciples, you baptize them? Yes. So if I go out and I'm trying to make a disciple of the Lord according to His instructions, can I leave baptism out? I can't do that without being disrespectful and disobedient to the Lord. In the parallel passage in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. What did the Lord say that you had to do? He said, you have to believe and you have to be baptized and then you will be saved. And someone says, well, he goes on to say, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Why didn't he say you don't have to be baptized? Because if you don't believe, you're not going to get any further than that. You can dunk somebody in the water if they don't believe and it's not going to help at all. But it wasn't just what our Lord said. It's what he instilled in those men whom he left 
to direct his church. You remember after Matthew 16, verses um, 18 and 19, he said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say unto you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Well, what did these apostles preach? When they were sent to teach God's message. In Acts 2, 37, they they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And his response was, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Oh, those same men that he commissioned preached that message. Verse 41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls added to them. So I don't have to wonder, what did Jesus teach? What did his divinely commissioned apostles teach they taught baptism and then I could but I'm not going to for the sake of time I could take you through the book of Acts and we could just go chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter and look at the accounts of conversion just want to use one Paul's in Corinth and Paul has come there and he's preached the gospel to these people and the record that Luke leaves simply says, Then Crisper, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. You see the example? You, you find it by the teaching of the Lord. You find it by the teaching of the apostles. And then you see it in the example of what those people did as they were obedient to the Lord. But you see, baptism not only reflects the importance of water in the Old Testament, but it has parallels in the New Testament as well. For instance, as Wednesday night, we're studying from Romans chapter 6, and when we studied verses 3 and 4, we saw a very important parallel. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Just like Jesus died, was buried in that tomb, raised to live again, we die to the old man, we bury that old man in baptism, and we're raised to walk in a newness of life. Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I could take so many others. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body. We're baptized into the body of Christ the church. So if water stood between the old world and the new world with Noah, if water stood between bondage and freedom for the children of Israel, 
If water stood between the diseased, leprous man and the clean man with Naaman, and we see that's what the Lord taught in the New Testament, why would anyone wait once they know that on the other side of baptism is being washed from your sins. In Acts 22, verse 16, the Apostle Paul himself at his own conversion was asked by Ananias, and now while you're waiting, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Or as the eunuch standing and saying, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? We ought to be asking that question among ourselves. So I'm going to end with some very simple questions. Have you been baptized? Now that's not a very difficult question. It's either yes I have or no I have not. And the question comes up after this lesson here, can you see the difference between the old and the new man? Second question, if you were baptized, why were you baptized? And you say, well, why do you ask that question? It's because if I look through the scriptures, I can go to Acts 19 and I can see men who have been baptized that Paul commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's a lot of people who actually were immersed by people who never taught what the scriptures teach on it. For instance, they never taught that baptism is for the remission of their sins. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. And if you've not done that, you need to do that correctly. The third question is, why are you waiting? What is it that you feel that you must wait on? Is it something in the future? I would to God that tonight I could be able to persuade everyone who needs to be baptized to do so tonight. To not put it off. To not try to rationalize. Not try to deny the plain Bible teaching. But to be obedient to the gospel of Christ. If you need to be baptized or you need to be restored to faithfulness, would you come as you stand and sing?